shining a beacon on the bazaar. Okay, now, Kate, get yeah. ready to sweat. Huh, yeah, huh. right, ready. Huh. I don't want another ten reps out there. Huh. Huh. I'm feeling it, Kate. I'm feeling it. Huh. Right, here we go. And go. Huh. Come on, you can do it. Huh. I don't know. Huh. Here we go. Huh. Feel the sweat. Huh. Feel the feel sweat. the burn. I'm feeling the burn. Huh. 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 You can do it. Oh, look. You can see all veins popping out of your neck. Oh, this is terrible. Huh. Whoa, I'm nearly dizzy. Whoa. You can do it. Come Ooh. on, man. You're well, powerful. No pain, no gain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here we go. Oh, absolutely fantastic. Look at the size of that turning oh, pan. Oh, my God. It's like a baby. It's the size of a... Oh, oh it's like geez. a chair leg, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it rimples and rimples and what? Woo. Yeah, I'm going to have to get the... Uh, I'm going to have to get the pinking shears out to cut that in half. <laughs> oh, oh, Vaseline or something. Pseudocrem, pseudocrem, pass me oh, that. Oh. Good workout, Arkin. Oh, I like it. Oh, man, feeling it, feeling it. I well, must that's have... the thing about being a man. You know, you've got to be, yeah. you've got to be, got to be ready to sweat. Ooh. <laughs> oh, manliness. Look oh, at that. Oh, I feel manly. I feel yeah. proper manly. Did it be a flush that turned away? No, that's coming out. I'm going to have to throw it out the window or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like American football. I just got to fucking launch it out with my manliness. <laughs> well, that's the thing about being so masculine. You can do oh, this sort of mate, thing, you know? Mate, I can feel it. I can do anything because I'm such a man. Oh, I love it. You know, man. <laughs> well, we're two men today at Kraken Cove. We're at the podcast that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. And I'm Matt. And I'm a big fucking manly baby. <laughs> I fucking feel it. <laughs> Yes, we've got a very masculine edition of Kraken Cove today because we're so alpha. <laughs> so if you don't know what Kraken Cove is, basically we're a podcast that likes to look at the weird, the strange, we look at news stories, we look at back into 14 sort of subjects, we're looking at historical things, cryptids, ghosts, UFOs, you name it, we have a little look at it. Um, but you know, I don't think we go too deep, do we? Not too deep. Yeah, well, a little roll round in it. It's <laughs> 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 like we're a dog with a dead seagull or something. We're like... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we think of the dog with a dead seagull approach to Fortiana. <laughs> we just roll round in it and stink for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> and I think that's that. I think I might, I might be going on our first T-shirt. <laughs> And first of all, one thing I do want to do a little plug for, we don't usually do um, plugs, this is for Leanne's beauty blog. Oh yeah, <laughs> Lily, <laughs> the beautiful Lily. She's a right good supporter of ours, uh, and uh, you can find her at Leanne's beauty blog on Instagram. She's got a great little site and, and uh, YouTube as well. Sign up, sign yeah, up to her on YouTube. Sign up it's to really YouTube. Good. You know, she's Proper a great chilling. Yeah, she's she's uh, stuff is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, she did Benny up the other day, uh, and he made he made him look really beautiful and feminine. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. now I'm back as a man. <laughs> <laughs> so what I might do, we're going to get Leanne round to sort of like draw some muscles on Benny's belly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> to make him look more masculine. <laughs> and she can sort of draw a load of hair on my head or something. 
<laughs> but no, try and give her a follow. She's a really, really good, uh, good, good friend of ours, and she's been a great supporter over the last time of last while of doing the show. Yeah, no, she's great. She's great. Yeah, cheers, Liam. So for now, what we're going to do is me and Ben are going to um, iron some pumps, <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get delving a little bit of Kraken Cove. So shall we get at it? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kid, I reckon the first boat out of the harbour today is going to be a little subject called Man of War Crucible. Man of War Crucible? Yeah, you probably won't know what this nope. is because you're not manly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying today. Really? I'm I really tried, trying. Right? So I'll go, this is the first page of the Man of War Crucible, right? Um, <sighs> their, their intro. Now, I had to be, I, it was really hard to lift any text off their site because it's more, mainly, mainly pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweaty, muscly, mate. It's lots of pictures, and it's but really what it says. It says, "Man of War Crucible, weak-minded or dishonourable men need not apply. Do not waste our time. But if you are part of the two percent of men who are ready to dominate all facets of your life, ready to become a stronger father, husband, leader, and visionary, ready to take your business to the next level." Ready to enter an amazing brotherhood of warrior-minded men. <laughs> Ready to push yourself beyond your self-imposed limits. Ready to break free of your bad habits. Without a doubt, this program is for you. What is the Men of War Crucible? In its rawest form, the Men of War Crucible is a rite of passage that leads you into the Men of War Society. <laughs> This revolutionary program weaponizes businessmen, CEOs, leaders, and warrior-minded men with high-level strategies, philosophies, and tactics utilized by elite ancient warrior cultures. <laughs> oh, the Men of War Crucible extracts, interprets, and implements these profound elements into modern life for success in all fa facets of a man's domain. <laughs> and it goes on like this, right? They sound really scared. Yeah. <laughs> they sound really scared about something. Yeah. It's all right, lads. You know what I mean? You don't feel <laughs> steady. And basically, that's what this is all about. This is it, it's this sort of it's a program, right? And it's run by this guy called Rafa Conde, I think his name. Is. Oh, right. 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 Do you want to have a look at this absolute yeah, pumper? He's, right. He's made his own name up. Look at that. Oh, <laughs> oh, he loves himself, doesn't he? He absolutely loves himself. He's obviously had a bit of work done as Rafa Conde. Yeah. I've looked at things, but he's obviously had his teeth done, right? And yeah. he's all a bit shiny. You know, <laughs> and he, 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 again, he obviously takes loads of steroids and shit like this, yeah. you know. But he describes himself as being. Um, Rafa Conde is a founder and CEO of Man of War, one of the fastest growing personal development companies in the world. He's a sought after speaker, an internationally recognized pragmatic leadership and corporate cultural strategist. Conde has been featured on CBS, Newsmax, and Univision. A former top producing Wall Street stockbroker and law enforcement officer. Oh, so he's both oh, those things. Yeah. Right? Spaceman, fireman. <laughs> Manly man. That's it. <laughs> So Conde trained recruits at the Palm Beach County Police Academy for over a decade. During his time as an instructor, he observed a disturbing trend of men who lacked confidence, discipline, and courage. In response to this trend, he created the Man of War podcast. <laughs> so this is the police academy on fucking VHS. Yeah, yeah, look yeah. at all these losers. I'm well manlier than these <laughs> lot. Exactly. <laughs> 
So I'll tell you what the Man of War Crucible is really. It's this training program that he's he's created. So you get things like this tough mudder and all that sort of yeah, stuff, yeah. don't you? Know I mean, where it's like people turn up on a weekend and get muddy and climb under sort of cargo yeah. nets. The favourite thing after that is to go around every shop in fucking Britain to show that they've been to tough mudder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen <laughs> that? Mudder. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, look at me, I've been. Look at look, look. Look at the t-shirt, man. Look, I'm covered in mud. <laughs> Right. And that's the thing. So it's a bit. It taps into that same thing. But tough mudder is fine in a weird way because yeah. men and women can go. You can. It exactly. doesn't matter what you know. Well, women aren't allowed in this. <laughs> women aren't allowed in this. this Why is, is it because they're not men? It's because they're not men. Right. So I've I've watched footage of this lot. Right. And it does look pretty pretty fucking hard work. Yeah, you know? yeah. But a lot of it. There's an awful lot of it. So these guys are quite muscly and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. And they're only combat fatigues. Right. And quite often they're in vests. <laughs> they do seem to be wrestling quite a lot. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of man on man contact going yeah. on there, right? I've got to just spit it out. I read a fact of the day that was like 2% of the male population have got micro penises. <laughs> 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 and it's funny that then two percent of, of these yeah. really manly men get them out, boys. Because yeah. I reckon let's have a look at those doodles. <laughs> exactly, there's something seriously wrong with every all of their pieces. I, I think it's the comedian. Um, Sarah Pascoe, where she always described these people as um, the men with big arms and sad eyes. I love that one. Honestly, you told me it before. I love that one. He's there with big arms looking around. Oh, my manly no. Well, that's it's, it's the arms now. What was the equivalent of the big car, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. It's like the big arms are now the big. They've got you know. a sleeve tattoo and the yeah. big greasy arms. And that's what these guys all are. And, and basically, these are even worse because they've obviously lacking something so massively. The old men of war crucible crew that they're willing to spend a vast amount of money to go on this training programme. And what it involves is like a big male bonding thing, men screaming at each other, having to do sorts of loads of things, crawling around in mud, um, weapons training, all sorts of shit like this, right? Just because they're not feeling manly enough in their own lives. Right? <laughs> That's really weird. It is really weird. And it, yeah, I'm, you know, I, feel so, I feel sorry for him, actually. Which, yeah. If you to turn around and say to these guys, I feel sorry for you, they'd be fucking furious. <laughs> 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 they'd be cross as wasps, wouldn't they? <laughs> let's wrestle! Let's wrestle! Yeah, I don't all want the, to well, wrestle! I, I have argued, obviously I've argued with them online already. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And I have had actually the Man of War Crucible uh, website uh, have a go at me. <laughs> Which has been quite good fun. Yeah, exactly. Because I just find it so pathetic that men have to feel like men by doing something so stupidly physical as in wrestling around in the mud. It's not like they're getting anywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. not like by the end of it they've built a house or a hospital for a load of disabled people or sort of sick uh, people in another country. All they've done is rolled around in the mud, had a fight, screamed at each other, probably had a bit of a cry, slapped each other on the back yeah. and spent nearly £10,000 on the fucking yeah. privilege of doing it. But what they're saying is when they come away from it, it's this thing, I feel like a better father and husband now. Oh, oh. And I'm thinking, what, what was... Right, by having this wrestling around and feeling super manly all over again, right? What's made you feel better yeah, about yourself? Yeah, yeah. And the thing that gets me as well is, if they complete this really hard course, they get a special ring. <laughs> it's like a Super Bowl ring. Oh. Sort of and then there's pictures of these guys. I will post pictures of these online about this, right? So they, they all get to meet up at like a special dinner every year, right? Oh. And all, all the men wear these these black, sharp black suits. Yeah. All the men wear the same black suit. And they're all showing off the special fancy ring, right? Like, oh, like the little, like little kids, isn't it? You know, <laughs> like when you get it from Bino or something, you get like some power ring or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, bless them. <laughs> well, that's what it is. So transparent, right? I've seen the podcast and listened to sort of like his YouTube footage of Rafa Conde, right? In fact, what we'll do is let, let, let's have a quick look at the uh, let's have a quick look at him in action. Shall oh we? yes, please. Let's see how manly this mother is. 
<laughs> and can I just? I'm just gonna. Pa- I'm just gonna pause this here because this is. Um, this is episode one five five of uh, Rafa Conde doing his Man of War podcast, Jesus. Uh, and this is uh, the episode's called "To Take Back Your Manhood." <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably in your bum or something. <laughs> Tip back your manhood. Who's that's, got it? Yeah, that's what I want to know. So let's have a little bit of a play again. Welcome to the Man of War podcast. My name is Rafa Condit. Of course, I am a man on a mission here to transform you into a modern day warrior, into a man of action, a man who steps up in the heat of battle, come hell or high water, a man who's looking Back to up. be a stronger father, husband, visionary. That's right. Visionary. A man who lives that warrior life, who lives by that code. What? what do you mean? That code. Listen, I'm gonna plug the Man of War Crucible. Okay, the five-day rite of passage. There we go. All right, that we've been basically bringing to you now for over three years. Right. It is as powerful, powerful. and as transformational as you're ever going to experience. <laughs> five days. Nothing. Just fucking five days, and it's all now, better. I mean, I don't want to get into it here, but oh, I bet you don't. Five days. Yeah. Five. All right. My brothers, we have changed lives, saved marriages, created men from the inside out. Oh, dear. (laughs) Stirred their guts. I want you to go check this out at Men of War. That's M E N. Oh, I can't not spell that. And see what we're talking about here. I know what you're talking about, pal. Right. So that's what we'll do before, we, in case we get sued. But, <laughs> but basically, that's this is this guy Rafa Conde. He's he's claiming that there's a lot of guys out there. I think a lot of Americans, to be honest. Yeah. Who you know a bit gun toting, and I think they've all feeling a bit like the liberals are winning, and they're mm. feeling like the little doodles aren't quite strong enough, <laughs> and they feel the need to go on some massive action course kind of thing. It's weird, isn't it? I, I, I don't. It's till today. I, I've never really thought. I'm a man. You know, yeah. like, the, what is the feeling of being a man? It didn't really come into my consciousness, no, you know? It's just like, I'm me. Yeah. I'm Benny. Uh, <laughs> Benny. I'm not a man, I'm a Benny. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm just plain simple old Benny. But look, do you know the worst <clears throat> thing is? These are the guys who... Um, Give white guys a bad name. Yeah, totally. Because always yeah. there, there is black guys going to the Man of War uh, Crucible and stuff like this. Uh, I've I've looked through for other sort of like racial demographics, and it doesn't seem to be many others to be honest. Yeah. Few black guys, mainly white guys, thick necks, sad eyes, yeah. <laughs> big <laughs> arms, <laughs> big <laughs> arms. And he just seems. I, I I want to know what it is that these guys are lacking in the life. Yeah, what is it like, they're yeah. trying to find there? What? Yeah, what is you know? And I, I think because perhaps they were brought up by a, perhaps a generation of dads who. Vietnam, yeah. and they come back going, I'm a real man, I, I killed them 16 and I shot the goop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You'll never be a real man, son. Yeah, yeah you'll never. Yeah. I, I always thought as well, these, these are whole, whole areas of, it's like the boomers in the UK, I think they were sort of a bit obsessed about being manly because they didn't have a war. Mm, yeah, they didn't have yeah. that war to go to that they really, really wanted. Yeah. They're a bit good because their mums and dads, well, mainly their dads have been at war. Yeah. And I think that's what all generations of people want, they want their own war. And that's Christ, what, I don't. I don't because it's ridiculous. It, it's it's fetishized. It's, 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 it's sort of like held up like as I mean, like him going on about this warrior code, right? Mm. I mean, I've I've done quite a lot of study into the into the um, uh, samurai yeah, stuff, yeah. and I will be bringing a special soon about samurais. Ooh, hopefully. Nice. Uh, and I might even have, a, if with a bit of luck, if I can, I might have a really really special guest for that. Ooh. And um, but that's by the by. Um, 
But what is it's when people talk about the warrior code, they just I've got this ideal of what warriors were and what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, historically, you can read up about it and see what the way of the warriors, certain warriors and stuff. But this goes straight back to for my money mm-hmm. to the whole sort of proud boy movement, which is going on in America, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. these where the the proud boys and stuff. Because one of these things he said on this list is. Um, Let's have a quick look here. Ready to break free of your bad habits. Mm. Now, I can guarantee you what one of these bad habits is that you've got to give up, and that's wanking. Uh, right, yeah, because yeah. the Proud Boys in America, one of their main things is they have a rule, the no-fap rule, right? Fap. We- that, that's an American sort of terminology for wanking. All right. right. They have a, so, but for them to actually step forward and say, right, here we're all going to be men. We're going to be proper men. We're all going to get together and do manly things. Oh, by the way, we're not going to do any wanking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's so. That is immediate red flag. Yeah. Right. If you feel like you know you have to mention that we're not going to have a wank anymore. Yeah. It's like, well, what's wanking? What what what, what have we got against wanking, mate? Yeah. And I think, do you know what it is? I think it's to build up a load of rage and tension. Yeah, it could fucking well be, though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I'm like, a day without it, and I'm like, Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's one part of this rule, give up your bad habits, become a stronger man and husband. He's just trying to be that thing. What I don't like, though, is what is their opinion? If they're so manly-oriented and doing this for men and these menly con, what are their opinion of women? Mm, yeah, that's what I'd like. I think it's like Game of Thrones, or yeah, some of like these big muscly men like come here, wench. Yeah, I think yeah. it is, and I think there is some women who probably sort of think, well, that's how bloke should be. Sort of yeah. thing. But the majority of women nowadays, of them. Yeah, there's yeah. not many yeah. because they realise that men acting like that are fucking idiots. Yeah, and they're loving themselves rather than anything else. Aren't they? Are, yeah, they just and, they're, and I think a lot of the time when pe- men are, are trouble in the house, sort of thing, I think it's because they're so wrapped up in their own inda- inadequacies, mm. and this is it some way giving them some. sort Sort of feeling of adequacy, yeah. but not in a healthy way. Yeah, true. It's like seeing a shrink and getting to the root of the problem. It's just kind of like a total distraction, isn't it? It's just like it's, steroiding yeah, up on some... massive daddy issues, and yeah. they just want to become daddy. Ooh, <laughs> you know, that's some really weird overtones, undertones. Yeah, and in that, I mean, you can look at the website for this because it's extremely tiresome. You know what I mean? But it's communal showers. Oh, <laughs> there'd be a lot of that kind of thing. Yeah. There'd be there'd be no kind of. There'd be no proper kind of gay behaviour. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there'd, be no, there'd be no sort of touching of willies, but there'd yeah. be just a lot of fucking almost like almost equivalent rub dick. It'd yeah, be just sort yeah, of like, yeah. you know, man, Barney, big hugs like, I love you, man. Yeah. I love you too. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be like lots of predator kind of sort yeah. of like bonding. It's all predator. Get on the chopper. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Who's it's... chopper? My chopper. No. <laughs> Leave my chopper alone. Yeah, that's it. It's that kind of thing which is just bullshit you know I'm a sexual tyrannosaurus (laughs) (laughs) and and they don't realise they look so silly this guy looks so silly and he's on about every time like you have to smash every day attack every day attack the day this physical sort of confrontation where the day needs attacking demolishing defeating everything they're approaching needs defeating I give the day a fucking hug. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Be kind to yourself. You yeah. don't. You don't have to get up at four in the morning. Do some sort of fucking Zen yoga kind of thing, which is fine, and then yeah. turn into some sort of like. Start punching shit. Yeah. Do a punch back. Why do you have to be so hard on yourself all the time? Scared. They're scared. scared. Yeah, they're scared. They are scared well, of whatever's scared, coming. Yeah. And that, if they, the need to be a warrior means that they think there's something to fight. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what it is, and I don't think they know what it is. Right, but this yeah. guy, this Rafa Conde, he, he, 
it's so hard to find out how much it costs to do this this one yeah. this weekend, right? But I kid you not, it must cost. It, it's at least four or five grand, if mean, not yeah. a lot more. Yeah. And then you've got to buy the fancy fucking suit. Yeah. And those little fancy fucking uh, superhero rings that you get with <laughs> they're not cheap. <laughs> the rings sound pretty cool, to be honest. <laughs> but when you see the. Just to go to the dinner where they all go, where they all meet, because oh. there's pictures of them all there with the what the and the whole wives have all got their hair done and they're standing by the men going, my mm, men, men, like, oh. men like. and it's just like give up for fuck's sake, <laughs> stop it, because this thing right, it it leaches down, this toxicity leaches down from this thing where there's lots of people who can afford ten thousand pounds right into something different, mm. right? Now then. New thing that's happening at the moment, right, in the UK, is yeah. partly anti-vax movement. Oh, crikey. Right, and, and right, so these guys are turning around saying, we need to target vaccine centres, schools and councils. This is inside the chilling anti-vax group where ex-soldiers are teaching hundreds to wage war on the government and preparing them for direct action. Jesus. Right. The group is called... Alpha men assemble. Oh no! <laughs> you couldn't get a stupider name. Now imagine all the stuff. <laughs> Alpha men assemble. Assemble. That's exactly what oh, it's like, no. right? And what they do is they organise military-style training sessions for anti-faxers as part of a war on the government, right? And this is a, this is a piece for the Daily Mail. And to be fair, they've actually reported on it well here. They've done yeah. a good job there. Uh, I hate the Daily Mail. Yes. There's no two ways about yeah. it. I really do. But you know, they, they've done an investigation. I, I'm, I'm, I think it needs to be investigated. A group of hardline anti-vaxxers is running military-style training sessions in preparation for a war on the government. Alpha Men Assemble is threatening to target jab centres, schools, and the police with volunteers drilled by former army members. Right. So military military guys are training them. Jesus. A Daily Mail report infiltrated the group's preparations at a park in Staffordshire as the mostly middle-aged and white male crowd readied itself for direct action. Danny Glass, a former Royal Fusilier, called on those presents to take it to the old bill and warned the fight was not for the faint-hearted. Does this sound familiar? As in, you've got to be a manly man. (laughs) Right. Around 100 activists were urged to hit vaccine centres, schools, teachers, colleges, counsellors and directors of public health in every area. The group, which has more than 7,000 subscribers on the encrypted Telegram, it's a right-wing social media group, is Telegram, right? Oh, like Jesus. You know what I mean? It's like Facebook, but it's for, yeah. This is where um, um, Trump's still got a platform oh, on Telegram, God. you know what I mean? Um, and it mocks more moderate anti-vaccine protests featuring the likes of Piers Corbyn as standing in the park, saying, mm. you know, so the, the, Piers Corbyn's pretty sort of hardcore in a he weird is, way. Isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're saying no because they're what they wanted to do. They wanted to take actual direct action. Not beating up a school. They're well hard. Are they? yeah. well, they're picking on school kids. <laughs> well, what they're saying here is like uh, a male investigation found. Army veterans are training scores of volunteers on marching formation and kickboxing to ensure volunteers are professionally prepared for direct action. The organisers, uh, the organiser, a local man named Paul, ran through our report through boxing drills, just in case it should be needed. He also claimed to a list of six hundred coppers that are criminal paedophiles, run their own brothel, brothels, and gather at Masonic lodges. This is all still echoing back to sort of load of tropes. Is this right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The anti-vaxxers uh, 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 go straight to the paedophiles every time, yeah, right? Yeah. And running criminal activities like brothels. One drill instructor declared the volunteers were fighting a global war being waged between people and their governments, right? 
So Alpha Men Assemble was set up only last month, which I'm thinking this. Well, let me follow on from this, yeah, right? Yeah. But its numbers have swelled since it ran a training session for recruits in Little Hampton, West Sussex, two weeks ago. A hardcore of more than 100 members braved the rain and cold at Staffordshire's Chase Water Park, right? And they're calling themselves the group First Task Force. That's what they're saying, <laughs> right? Fucking original, aren't they, these boys? So police car was stationed outside the entrance to the park while two police officers kept a close eye on events, right? Wandering in and out of the scrum of activists to, how, uh, to howls of abuse, mm. right? So basically what they're doing, these guys, they're running actual... Um, they're running sort of drills where they kind of march. <laughs> the I bet they're funny to watch. <laughs> big beer bellies and bacon. Whoa! Right, let me just show you something. Jesus. You're not being in one, are you? <laughs> <laughs> right, Why have you painted a tattoo on your face, Arky? <laughs> right, take a look at this. I know that park. That is Horsworth Park, which is a park very near Kraken Cove. It's a nice park as well. What are they? What they're doing? They're doing the drills. That's it. I'm going to show you the next picture. Oh, formations. So the basically what it is. This is two weeks before Christmas. Christ. I was watching Alpha Men assemble in our local park, going through drills. Now I can tell you firsthand what they were doing. Oh. They had like a chin. Uh, they had like a, a group of guys. Holding arms, sort of thing, in a row to sort of as in acting like a police barricade. Yeah. Then they got this main group of guys and made the marching formation of about 50, 60 guys. They all yeah. marched towards me. Then they marched away again and headed towards this thing while they're being drilled by these other guys saying, Right, what you this is how you approach a wall of coppers, this is how you link arms, and this is how you kind of attack them. Jeez. And they were running these drills in a park close to Kraken Cove. Like proper men. Like proper men. <laughs> the best thing is, one of them fell down on a, on a, on a muddy, slippy bit. <laughs> when he was marching up the hill and back down again. And I'll tell you what, how hard or what kind of people they are, right? You could tell that a few of them within this group, this was a Sunday morning, you yeah, could yeah. tell a few people in this group were a bit hungover, yeah, right? Yeah. And this park's a nice park. It is uh, very nice. And then the, one of these guys just wandered up to the local bush and just started pissing in the bushes. Uh. Right? These are the alpha men that are <laughs> assembling. Right? <laughs> This is going to save our country. And I, and I could, I could look right. There was a couple, of, you know, there's mainly white guys. There's a couple, yeah. a couple of Asian guys in there, but it was mainly white guys. And you could tell by the type. You could tell yeah. by what they were doing. You could tell the sort of guys they were. You know, they, as you say, they were paunchy beer guys. Yeah. They were your Britain first sort of thing. They were sort of your Tommy Robinson. I'm about crowd. to say, I was trying to think of his bloody name. That yeah, tiny little it's man. Absolutely, your Tommy Robinson crowd. Bunch of losers, absolute arse. And I'll bring another twist to it. I think it's complete manipulation as well. I think all the, you know, you've mentioned the paedophile thing before. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I do truly believe there's weird paedophile gangs and weird things going on in this country. But they, Russia basically is using it as disinformation to get people all worked up and crazy. Well, I think I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's quite Russia. I do know there's a lot of other people. Lots of people are in. They've got agendas to get them all whipped up like this. Um, um, uh, John Ronson's uh, podcast that he's gone at the moment called "It All Fell Apart." I think things fell apart. I think it's called. That takes like a dive into how things that 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 kind of went about, and it's the fact that they're using paedophilia as leverage because you can justify any action by saying we're fighting paedophiles. Exactly, it's a hate it creates as well. It does, yeah. But hang about, we're we're, we're hunting paedophiles, and so you think, yeah, that's it. We're so wrong. 
cars. We're, we're protecting the kiddies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it for the children. Yeah, and it isn't. It's bullshit. It's just an excuse to be all manly and, like I say, blokes to be blokes. And, and it, it just needs to stop. It's troubling, isn't it? Where will it stop, though? If like... Where will it stop? But this is something we're going to be an ongoing investigation by a crack and Cove team. Yeah. <laughs> so get the shit kicked out of us. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. We're going to get pinned down in the mud by big, muscly American guys and suddenly everyone gets the knobs out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think he, I think he's all pretty pretty pathetic and pretty sad. So, but we're going to be investigating. That's why it's a bit of a serious one to start. With, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's troubling. He's that troubling. But a bit troubling, but we're, we're going to watch out what goes there. And, and if you see any of this shit, send it into us. Yeah, do yeah. Keep an eye out for your local parks. Don't be joining it. Don't go on any marches uh, and get yourselves jabbed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you dopey cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Sea bomb? Sorry. Fun world of cryptozoology. Oh, you may be. Right. And what we're going to be looking at is something. This is a special one, right? This is a special one for two people, right? Uh, this is a special one for Robo Pete. Oh, nice. And this is a special one for Lord Tolson. <laughs> we're looking at the Mongolian death worm. Oh, it's on, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'll be Lord Tolson will be over the moon. Now, there's a reason why I've not looked at the Mongolian death worm before, yeah. right? Uh, um, but we're going we're gonna to dive as deep as we possibly can into yeah. death worm territory now, you know? <laughs> so, Mongolia basically is a absolutely godforsaken, blasted area of the world sort of thing. Mm. It's, it's, it's the area, it's like the Kazakhstan area, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, up to, it's this wild, dry desert steppe, it's just this desolate area, yeah. sparsely inhabited during the day it's red hot during the winter, or during the night it's freezing cold, the winter months there get down to minus 30 and minus oh 40, God. it's brutal is the whole <laughs> Mongolian area you know? yeah. and the people who live there are mega mega hard, yeah. but what else isn't mega hard in that area, the creatures that live there, you right. know and one of these supposedly is the Mongolian death worm. <laughs> so what we need, I think we need a little description of what it looks like, what its name is, what it came from. Because the uh, the name for it is Algoi Korkoi, right? Mm -hmm. And that means the large intestine worm. And it's named the large intestine one because that's what it resembles. It just looks like a load of lumpy purple guts. Oh, jeez. <laughs> 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 But the creature first came to Western attention, right? Sort of like, it, and it was in a, a guy called Roy Chapman Andrews. He, he wrote a book in 1926, and it was called "On the Trail of Ancient Man." Hmm. And it's, it's sort of a seminal book, really. It was the first time people were really looking into sort of like where man comes from, what yeah. it, you know, what it was about. And he he took a great look at um, all sorts of cultures. Massive book. I've not read it, but mm -hmm. I, I intend to. And he's, he's he's American. Is this guy? And he describes like the tales he's heard of the monster, right? It says, but one thing which underlines and comes back again and again is that um, none of those that he's ever interviewed has ever actually seen the creature. Yeah. He's never found, there's never anybody, even now you've got to say, do you know anybody who's seen it? Yeah. Nobody's ever, there's no witnesses for the Mongolian death worm. So what it looks like, it says, it's, it, it's shaped like a sausage <laughs> uh, from between... I've heard the, the, the extremes of it is it's roughly around a metre long, right? Yeah. So which is about three foot. 
And um, but um, three rulers actually. <laughs> 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 oh, but it, I've heard it runs to five feet long. Ooh. Right. How many rulers is that? <laughs> <laughs> it is got no head or legs. And it is so poisonous that merely to touch it means instant death. Crikey, talk to me about a bit of girth. Right. Girthy, girth wise, they say it's about as thick as a man's arm. Now, it depends <laughs> if it's a man of war man's yeah, arm. Yeah, because that means it's about as thick as my torso. <laughs> <laughs> but it says it's reported to live in the most arid, sandy regions of the western Gobi Desert. It says the worm is said to be inhabited in those areas in the Gobi. Uh, and in the 1987 book, Altan Sadjak. Um, this is Altan Sadjak Govd. Well, some of June. Right, uh, yeah. Ivan Makhel cites a Mongolian legend which described the creature as travelling underground, creating waves of sand on the surface which allow it to be detected. Wow. That's cool. It is said it can kill at a distance either by spraying venom at its prey or by means of an electrical discharge. Wow. It primarily lives and burrows underground, only rarely coming to the surface. Now, the thing is there, this, this creature, it is, it's got several ways of killing. So the, one of the ways it can do it, right, is it, it's, it can kill from a distance by spewing corrosive yellow saliva, <laughs> right, and generating a, um, a, an electrical discharge. One thing it says as well, another way it says it can kill, is if you get too close to it, it apparently what it does, it, it, it pops its rear end sort of, <laughs> out, of the, out of the ground, screams, oh, nice. then explodes, what? <laughs> showering the entire area with... Tons and tons of toxic venom which burns and kills That's like ridiculous. alien, like alien <laughs> blood, right? Yeah. Now my thinking with that is when people say it explodes, I have a feeling if it does, it's you know almost like some snakes can or lizards can shed the tail. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably got a section of it which can explode. Yeah, right? and then it darts off. And the rest of it sort of legs it. I yeah. like that shows yeah. it's how screams and explodes. <laughs> yeah, this is it, you know. <laughs> but the um but one thing they reckon why it's so toxic and dangerous is what it wants to kill. It wants to kill camels. What? And the reason it wants to kill camels is it think that the thinking is that it, that's what it nests in. Uh. So that's what it builds its nest and lays its eggs in camels, right? Uh. So that when so when the eggs hatch, they've got the camel meat to feast on. Then they go back underground. So it has uh. to be something that's it's only a worm, but it's got to be able to kill something yeah, as big as a camel big, damn yeah. fast, you know. Now. Um, they reckon it hibernates for 10 months of the year, right? And it only emerges during June and July. And even then it prefers to rise to the surface when the ground is wet and rain is falling from the skies. Yeah. You know? Is it possible, you know, like in June and in tremors, can something do that in sand? Move around like that in sand, yeah. You reckon? Because I but, thought it'd compact down, like the top shape's a bit loose, but it must be a lot of weight. Or, it, you know, it, two meter down. All that. It, there is, there is a lot of um, this. I can't, you know, off the top of my head now, I can't remember. There's a little mammals like almost like hamster-sized ones, oh, which yeah. live like that. They just go tootling around. There's no eyes. There's, but did they can like make a little hole and no, they can't because it collapses behind them. So literally, just travel underground and under say like under a couple of inches of sand, wow. hammering along at high speed. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it can be You wouldn't done. have eyes, though, would you? <laughs> under that with all that sand. Oh, no, that's oh, it. Jesus. So they've, they've developed to live without any eyes. 
Um, mm. but, I mean, but then again, look at this creature. It's no eyes. It's perfect. Mm. What they reckon as well is they think it might be warm-blooded, but they're not too sure. Yeah. But when they call it a worm, a lot of people are arguing, is it a worm or is it a reptile? Now, yeah. my thinking is it's possibly something reptilian. It's, there's no eyes detectable, no arms or legs. The mouth, though, right. is like a ring. Cool. And it's lined with teeth all the way around. You're like a lamprey. I don't yeah. know if you've ever seen a lamprey. A lamprey like I'm just thinking June again, just those big worms. It's exactly like that. Yeah. It's exactly like your June sandworm. Cool. But it's obviously been copied from that as, as June. Yeah, yeah. You know, has been um, uh, inspiration. For the it. inspiration, the design is basically a Mongolian deathworm. So, mm, wouldn't have you seen gigantic, it? Yeah, yeah, but gigantic. But this is a little version, but just as deadly in a weird <laughs> kind of way. You know? Exploded out. But there was a 14 times investigation into it, and, yeah. and the guy actually did go out to the Gobi Desert. Wow. But he decided that the um, because the dune worms were sort of like so like it. And I can see his thinking as well. How do you attract a Mongolian deathworm? What is it? A thumper. He, but he designed a thumper. Yeah. Man. And he did design a thumper and put them out and, and, and tried to hopefully. Because what are they after? They're after the camel's footprint. Yeah, bump, yeah. Bump, bump. And he thought, well, if they're after that, then, you know, yeah, yeah sure. Well, just bring a fucking camel. It'd be easy. But there, there, there's some people think that that's how it moves underground. It just basically just undulates because it's got ring-like scales it hasn't got sort of um, scales like a normal lizard yeah. it's, it, they're in, in concentric rings oh, all the way yeah, around its yeah. body and that's what it kind of sort of shrinks and stretches and, shrinks, <laughs> and that's how it sort of projects itself along <laughs> but a lot of people say when it's above ground the way it thinks it moves is by rolling like a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> like a sausage. <laughs> like a sausage. Or by squirming <laughs> sideways. Uh, so, which is a little bit like... Sidewinder snake. Exactly. It's like yeah. a sidewinder snake. You know? I like to see it roll about. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, right, people say, oh, well, there's nobody ever seen one. Well, they can't exist because nobody's ever seen one. Yeah. But this is the deadliest creature on the planet, yeah, potentially. you see it, you're dead, are you, anyway? It could be. That could be exactly what yeah. it is. If, if, I think if, the, if they do exist, right, they know that you're there long before you know they're there. Yeah. Right, so that's all geared up as this lad. He's ready yeah, to rumble, yeah. you know, he's ready to get yeah. you. And he knows you're not a camel because it's He knows you're not, exactly. Yeah. But does it? I don't think it does. I think I think to a certain extent, it, 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 I think any meat out there is fair, pro- yeah, fair play. Yeah, yeah. And who's to say what? I mean, it, it squirms, it can move sand and stuff, you know what I mean? It can roll like a sausage. And it can roll like a sausage. <laughs> I have a feeling if it does get its prey, why would it leave its prey on the surface? Oh. I have a feeling if it can shift sand like that, it can just mm-hmm. wriggle around and bury its prey. Yeah, That's what my thinking kick is. Stand over you. you. Yeah, well, you, well, you, uh, if you're going to lay your eggs in a rare resource, yeah. right, in the desert, which you is carrying them birds and stuff like that. You need to hide it, don't you? Need you need to hide it. Yeah. I have a feeling that's what the death worm does. Wow. And I bet it doesn't even work on its own. Oh, like a pack of them. I reckon it'd be like a pack of death worms will come along. <laughs> all lay their eggs in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Take roll around you like sausages. Roll around you like Surround you. Like a big pack of sausages. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Man of War Crucible again. <laughs> Those sausages don't have roll. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's what I think. I, and that's my personal thing. It's not being mooted by, mooted by anybody else. This, this yeah. all anyone's got to is, or it lays its eggs in the camel. Yeah, yeah. Or it, it lays its young in the camel, and the camel sort of like that. It's food for it. But my thinking, nah, I reckon it, they bury it, and well, that's why that's everything disappears. Yeah, yeah. So anybody who's disappeared in the desert, anyone's had any eggs laid in them or anything like that, they're just under the sand. Uh, the animal, the worms hatch, and they just go straight downwards. They don't come out. How do they get in you to lay the eggs, Aki? Well, they get in you because of the big bug. Core out your asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think if you've got if this thing, it, it, it's going to be like a, a cookie cutter, because oh, if you think it, it's all, <laughs> it's, it's just a ring of <laughs> knives. It can go in anywhere. It can go in your soft parts. Oh man! And, it'd be, and because and again, another thing it could be doing. It's got corrosive saliva. Yeah. Could burn holes in you too. Christ. The whole way is it's, it's, it's a design killing machine. But think about it. Out in the desert, you've got all these guys in the Gobi Desert, and they're all sort of like, you know, they've got a lot of shit to worry about, the locals. Yeah. When are they going to come up and invent this creature? Yeah, yeah. What, what, at what point have they invented a creature which is so dangerous it can spit venom, which is corrosive, and which is used by our finest science fiction people now, their creation, yeah. as a basis for entire movies, for entire yeah. books? Plots and everything. And like little that. Mongolian desert dudes are just doing it for. They've <laughs> shit got a lot of shit to think about, and they, yeah, yeah, yeah. so they've got time to sort of like work. work. It is a strange beast, and it you know yeah. normally you know you you could take like a wolf and turn it into a werewolf. Exactly. And, uh, you get something near it, don't you? That's so random. I bet there's not many worms in a desert because it's so dry. So why would it? You know, there were no actual worms. There is lizards. There yeah. are, um, there's a glass lizard which is out there in that area, and that's a yeah. strange look, looking thing. And the glass lizard doesn't have really have legs, oh, it's yeah. more like a, a slow worm kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that, that writhes through the sand in a similar sort of motion. Yeah. There, is, there is reptile snakes and lizards out there which, which kind of live a little bit like that, and a lot of locals. A lot of the, the, their uh, their claims have been poo pooed, right? Because they've been shown pictures of a tartar sand boa, which is just a boa constrictor type of snake. Yeah. But it's, it lives in the sand, travels oh, under the sand, all wow. that sort of stuff. And they're shown to the locals who claim to have seen the old goy koi, which yeah. is the uh, Mongolian death worm. And they confirmed that this was the, the animal they called so. Right. right, and and so this was an, an um, but no one's ever seen it. <laughs> you've just hit the nail on yeah. the head. Yeah. So what they've been shown, re really, it's been shown photographs of a long snake or a long type of creature which is a yeah. bit snaky. And they said, yeah, it's like yeah, that's that's the sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And th then everyone's gone away and said, oh well, no, they've been seeing the sand boa. Yeah. Oh, it's but not it's that... smooth, isn't it? The sand boa. It's not all wrinkly and dimply. It, it's just near. It, it's just near to it. Yeah. And also, as you quite rightly say, they've not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> They've Keep been, it so, simple, guys. There's been somebody who has seen it and has turned around and said, you know, avoid this creature. This yeah, is what it yeah. looks like. It, no, he hasn't got any eyes. He's got a mouth, a, a ring-like mouth. Yeah. And they're going, right, okay, I'll take that on board. Right, I, I'll, I'll keep my eye out for that, you know. Yeah. And um, and then they've not seen it. They've not seen it themselves. Mm. They're not to look out for it. Then yeah. somebody's shown them a picture of a sand power and said, is this it? They go, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. They go, right, that's it. It doesn't exist. And they've all gone away again, right? <laughs> they don't see it dangling out back end of a camel or <laughs> 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 what a lovely image! <laughs> but as soon as, as recently as two thousand and as sort of twenty ten here, right? The Snow Leopard Trust, right? There's a guy called Orjan, and he's a Swedish PhD student, and he's working out in outer Mongolia looking for snow leopards. Sweet. And he was talking about how he's been. He says, "I've checked the valley and found eight rocks with fresh scent marks of urine for the um, snow leopards." Right yeah. down there, and I'm pretty sure that we'll find the snow leopards if they try to cross the valley. And he's in the middle of nowhere. Crikey, he's deep yeah, in yeah. country. 
it's like a, it's long term research project. He describes it as right. So yeah, it's yeah. middle of nowhere, yeah, right? Proper camps out for the duration. So he says a few days ago, three Mongolians working for National Geographic came to the camp. They were out to find information about the Mongolian death worm. <laughs> and at first, I thought I'd heard them wrong, but no, they were looking for a death worm and thought perhaps I knew something about it. The death worm is supposedly be about 40 to 80 centimetres long, brownish coloured and lives underground. Both head and tail resemble a big hole lined with big fangs, making the worm look like a pipe with teeth. The worm is also extremely poisonous and spits an acid poison that will kill a camel or human within minutes. And to make matters worse, it has a bad temper. <laughs> now if one makes it angry, the worm will change colour and turn red or blue. Wow. Like your bollock vein. <laughs> <laughs> if it gets really angry, it will scream like roaring thunder, God. then explode, spreading poison through the air. Like thunder. Like thunder. Now, these are sort of things that we need to sort of like keep in mind with the Mongolian death worm, right? Wow. Because this is another theory that I've got about it is that it's. Right, think about this. It can kill with an electric shock. Mm -hmm. It's only out of the ground during the rainy seasons when the ground is wet during the June and July. Yeah. And it can kill with a noise like thunder. Oh. Rain, electricity, thunder. Mm -hmm. So I think it is potentially that they've sort of like people have been out on like the, the the camel trails and stuff like that, and then a storm's coming, right? Yeah. Somewhere distant, they've heard a rumble of thunder, boom. Yeah. A lightning strike has hit the wet sand yeah. and electrified the camels and the people nearby and perhaps killed them. Yeah. What's killed everything? What, what, what's the answer? What the hell was that? It must be the Mongolian, Mongolian death worm. worm. Ah, it's just lightning, actually. Yeah. But this is another thing that nobody seems to put two and two together with, with the Mongolian mm, death worm. That's an worm. interesting theory. Is that like you. It's gone. Where's it gone? It's gone into the sands. You know, it yeah. run off. It it's the something's hill. attacked from below. The only thing they can think of. There's nothing in the sky. Yeah. There's nothing on the land that could have yeah. killed them. There's because it, as we mentioned before on the show, where we've had um, people killed by like a lightning strike or a football yeah. pitch, and everyone just collapsed. Yeah. It's not. They've not seen them actually hit by lightning. It's the fact the lightning, the electrical charge, is discharged over the wet ground and electrified yeah. that area. And it's like a bit with uh, corrosive uh, acid. You know, you just think, God. Why why are these man's toes blown off and it, shit? You potentially, know I mean? yeah, yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah, that could yeah. be it. You know, so it's this. Oh, that's a really good theory. Yeah. Is that? I want them to be real, like sausages, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> death sausage. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, with the Mongolian death worm, what I've just gone through there, its description, what it can do, everything about it, that's about it. Mm. There's no legends of sightings. Yeah. There's no things. Oh well, when so and so, so, -and -so was out on this, and he happened to see when his horse reared up and the horse got killed, and That's he did That doesn't exist with this. Snow leopard dude is out there, isn't he? He's in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, these these guys, it, it's persistent enough that people keep searching for, keep looking, keep trying to find it, and perhaps if they do, it spells death. Yeah. Because that's the only reason it connects. There's only two explanations for the Mongolian death worm: is the fact it's there and it'll kill you, mm. or it isn't there at all. Wow, that's cool. So yeah, so that's my particular take on the Mongolian well, death worm. Well done, good research. Yeah. yeah, a bit of crypto, I like that. Yeah, that's it. It's a little bit of thing, and we did it yeah. just because it stopped Lord Tolson from nagging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's done at last. But we put it to bed, and if, you've yeah. got, if he's got anything he'd like to add to the thing, he can yeah. email us uh, at crackercovepodcast at gmail.com. He can contact us at 
at Twitter, or you can, anybody, anybody of the listeners can, at uh, Crack and Cove, uh, or on Instagram, where Crack and Cove Pod. Um, Facebook, you can find us there easily enough. We're, yeah. we're, we're, you know, we're obviously just tapping Crack and Cove. And if you know anything about the Mongolian deathworm, you can add to it. Please add your own information. Or if you've got any free sausages, send them through to Crack and Cove. <laughs> <laughs> For the springtime when we take the road once more For the planting and the purling and the berry fields of blur We'll meet up with our kinfolk from all the world around When the gang of bird folk take the road and yellows on the broom When yellows on the broom when yellow's on the broom, and I'll get you on the road again. When yellow's on the broom. Right, we're going to cover a bit of a, a bit of a popular one again now. That's the sort of thing I think. That's the sort of mood I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Right. Tackling the big boys. Now, what we're going to cover is I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's the um, it's that thing you know when they died in Russia. You know the um, summer pass. You the summer. You called a little pack. Why you ask me, you fucker? <laughs> you setting me up? Well, 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 in a weird way, I was setting you up because I hoped you'd remember it. The, the Diatlov Pass. Do you even ask me to remember weird names? Yeah, Bell's <laughs> fucking. Ben's a champ at that. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> knobhead. <laughs> well, I just hoped you would, to be honest. Well, I remember it. I can't remember the name of it. All yeah. right, well, it's. I was gonna look. We're gonna look at. We're gonna look at the Diatlov Pass incident. And okay, course, we've it, been there before, haven't we? But we're not gonna do that. Ooh. The reason why is because we'll look at the Kamar Deban incident. Ooh. Because the Diatlov Pass incident isn't the only incident where a load of climbers have perished wow. in the Russian mountains. Wow, Russia again. Yeah, and this is by Natasha Mullins for Medium. I'm using my primary resource for this yeah. because she's absolutely. Knocked it out of the park with wow. this particular piece. She's taken it apart and it's brilliant. So I'm going to read uh, read from her piece. Yes, please. So formerly Soviet Russia can be a mysterious place. If you've been to the spooky side of YouTube or Reddit, you've probably heard of the Dyatlov Pass incident, where nine experienced hikers died mysteriously in the Russian Ural Mountains. And this case has been spoken about so many times it is not worth repeating again. But there is another very similar case that is not so well known. The Dyatlov incident was not the only mysterious hiker deaths to grace Soviet Siberia. The Kamar-Daban mountain range is in southern Siberia's Buryatia region, perched below Lake Baikal. Its rugged scenery has made a popular tourist hiking spot, but in 1993, six of those tourists would not make it out of the mountains alive. There are few answers in this case, and the lone survivor has refused to talk about the traumatic event since her first statement to the police in 1993. There are so many pieces in the puzzle that is Baratia's Dyatlov Pass, so it's saying it's their version of the Dyatlov Mm. Pass, many of which may not even be relevant or trustworthy. But here are the tentative facts and theories. 41-year-old Lyudmila Korivina was an experienced hiking instructor and survivalist labelled as a master by her peers and students. She was known for her tough love on her students, often pushing them very hard. This tough love ultimately paid off, however, as her students described her as being a good teacher that taught them confidence and crucial hiking skills. In the summer of 1993, Lyudmila had planned a hike with six of her students to the Kamar Daban mountain region, 
She was very experienced in the area, which was a popular tourist spot and considered a very safe place to hike, especially in the summer. Her students had trained with her for the trip, and she was very close to them all. The first of the six and the closest to Ludmilla was 23-year-old Alexander Kreisin. Ludmilla had known Sacha, also known as Sacha. Mm -hmm. Ludmilla had known Sacha for most of his life and considered him almost to be a son. The other five students are 24-year-old Tatiana Filipenko, 19-year-old Denis Shvatkin, 17-year-old Valentina or Valia Utuchenko, and 16-year-old Victoria Zalesova and 15-year-old Timur Bapanov. On 2nd of August, 1993, the group of seven arrived at the mountain range in the town of Morino, excited about their journey into the mountains. The weather forecast promised them clear, sunny skies. Lyudmila's and her students were one of three hiking groups in the area, one of which was being led by Lyudmila's daughter, Natalia. Their two groups had planned to meet up on August the 5th, which had been three days later, when their hiking routes would cross paths. All of the six students were ready to begin their hike, as this was their chance to prove themselves experienced hikers. This was a journey they had been planning and anticipating for months, and as a result, the group became close. Now, one thing I just wanted to add to this as well is, during this era, the Soviet era of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, hiking wasn't like we'd go hiking. It, mm. was, a, it was an extreme sport. It was right, a rugged yeah. kind of adventure hiking yeah. at speed. Um, and surviving as well while I went about it, you know, it was yeah. because their physical culture in Russia at that time was an extreme thing. You know, it was very to be well, almost in a weird way, not like uh, if, if the, the men of war crucible crew wanted to do, <laughs> they'd get their asses kicked straight yeah. away in these sort of things. These guys knew what they were doing. They were yeah, basically yeah. sort of like they were bringing supplies with them, bits roots and berries, and marching in the mountains and being and bonding. Yeah. The most crucial thing you need to look at what the Russians did right, whereas the men of war were crucible a lot are doing it wrong. It's all men and women doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's mixed things. You can't turn around and say yeah. women are, are, are strong enough or tough enough. It's ridiculous what Russia did, you know, with men and women through the war. It's exactly. unbelievable. The best tank commanders were women. Yeah. The, some of the, the best soldiers, all you have to do is look at sort of uh, Stalingrad to yeah. see. The, the, the Digging that big fucking trench, you know, the, it, were, it weren't even soldiers, it were like normal old women <laughs> digging it. And they did like this job that were just like, they, did, they just tore it apart, this huge trench in days. Do a research for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll yeah, do because yeah. it is. It's mental. It's but this, this is the thing. This is what the Russians were doing right. Is the fact is you do not discount women out of oh, how tough ridiculous. they are. So that all these fucking muscly guys uh, with yeah. the sad eyes <laughs> 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 take note of this. Yeah, yeah. Right. The first two days of the hike went better than planned. The group made extremely good time up Retranslator Peak, pushing themselves hard. By August the 4th, however, as they were beginning the descent, the weather forecast proved to have been wrong and they were hit with a rainstorm. With the hikers' supplies soaked, their journey was slowed down by the added weight. Since the hikers were exhausted, Lyudmila decided to camp out hastily in an exposed location, despite there being tree cover not far away. The group was unable to build a fire that night, but was still in good spirits. The next morning, an attempt at fire building was successful, and they ate breakfast together before heading out for the day. They planned to meet up with Natalia and expected to be able to do so, given how quickly they had made their way up the mountain the previous day. So while they had lost some time because mm. it got wet, 
the previous day when they'd made good time to start with, so yeah. they were balanced out about, you know. Later that day, Natalia and her group made it to the meeting spot, but her mother never showed. The group moved on, and she was not worried about her mother, assuming that the bad weather had put her back. Unfortunately, what had set the group back was much worse than she could ever have imagined. On August the 10th, a group of kayakers on the river noticed something in the tree line as they were paddling down at the base of the Kamar Daban Mountains. A lone girl was standing there, looking at them. The kayakers got out of their boats, and when they approached her, some sources claimed she was covered in dried blood. The girl became hysterical, trying to tell the kayakers her story. Eventually, she identified herself as Valentina Utachenko, and that she had been hiking with six others. Horrified, the kayakers took Valia to the nearest police station where a report was filed. However, it wasn't until years later that she was slowly able to tell the story of what happened to the other six, but it was perplexing and terrifying. According to Valia, the group set off down the mountain after eating breakfast that morning, but after only a few minutes the first disaster struck. Sasha, who was at the back of the group, began to scream. When everyone turned, they saw she was bleeding from her eyes and ears, frothing at the mouth. He fell to the ground, convulsing, and then went still. Lyudmila ran to him and ordered the rest of the group to continue. She was extremely distraught, trying in vain to get Sasha to gain consciousness. The remaining group did not get far before they heard Lyudmila cry out. As they turned and ran to her, they saw she was having the same symptoms as Sasha. Her eyes and nose were pouring with blood, and she was frothing at the mouth. She convulsed, then collapsed on top of Sasha. Tatiana, who'd got to Lyudmila first, was the next to collapse, grabbing at her throat as though she couldn't breathe. She slowly crawled to a nearby rock and bashed her head against it until she went limp. Oh, what the hell? Victoria and Timo both ran while Dennis hid behind a rock. Valia stood unable to move, having just watched three of her closest friends seemingly die within only a few minutes. But Victoria and Timo collapsed while running and died in a similar manner, throwing up blood and clawing at their own throats, tearing their clothes off. Realising they were only ones left, Valia and Dennis ran to each other and hurried away from the sight of their friend's death. It wasn't long, however, before Dennis collapsed, convulsing. Scared for her life, Valentina ran and left her friends behind. She only had a tent and the clothes on her back for supplies. Valia ran down the mountain until she was certain she was far enough away from the tragedy she had just witnessed, and under adequate tree cover she set up the tent for the night and fell asleep. When she woke up in the morning and realised she was still alive, Valia knew immediately that she would need supplies if she was going to survive alone in the wilderness. Her problem was that she'd have to return to the site of her friend's death to retrieve them. Knowing she had no other choice, Valia made the trek back up the mountain, retracing her steps. And when she reached the site, she saw that none of them had moved from the spots where they had fallen. Knowing they were all deceased, Valia quickly took the supplies she needed from their bodies and left, following power lines. For four days she followed the power lines down the mountain, hoping someone would find her, until she found a river and began following it. 
and by the end of the fourth day she was found by the kayakers and brought to safety. Despite the report to police, no official search was conducted until the 24th of August, which is two weeks later. Since Valentina had not been able to recount her versions of events yet, it took two days to find the bodies using helicopters. An autopsy report concluded they had all died of hypothermia, except for Lyub Miller, who had suffered a heart attack. They all had signs of bruised lungs and protein deficiency due to malnutrition, and was listed as a, this was listed as a contributing factor to their deaths. The deaths were ultimately ruled to be accidental. And compared to the testimony of Valia, this ruling is strange and is central to many of the theories in the case. What about that? He's absolutely mad. So that first bit, that bit when they started ripping the claws off as well, yeah. you know, that's like similar kind of bit when they were naked. What could cause that? Bashing what? his own head on a oh, rock. Oh, he seems like they were just like jumping from one to the next, but then he he, he didn't, you know, because he must, you know, there the were two that ran off. He didn't give it to her, did he? You know, no. they were together. What the hell is that? Some kind of sonic shit or... That's the thing. There's, but there is theories for the case for what it was and what had killed them, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. One thing I did want to look at, though, is the idea that they turned around and said, um, malnutrition. Yeah. Now, they'd only been out hiking for a couple of days, yeah. right? And these were super fit people, and they had supplies and food and everything like that, and they'd had breakfast that morning. Yeah, yeah. Yet there were signs of malnutrition. Well, they're just working yeah. that hard that he does malnutrition. Well, I mean, look at um, Lyud Miller as well. Um, they're saying she had a heart attack. This is yeah. somebody 41 years old, absolute prime of her life, fit as a butcher's dog, professional master hiker and survivalist, having a heart attack. Did they mention the blood? You know, like, you know. Well, they didn't, but that's the thing. They've been out for two it? weeks. Ah, yeah. Yeah, snow, so have, rain, melt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it won't be in snow because um, although it's the high mountains, it was August. Yeah. So it'll have been rain, it'll have been washed yeah. off and been cleaned, or anything could have happened up there. I mean, it could have been wolves, anything could have got to them. Yeah. You know, but it's basically been sort of, it's not been the best environment for them. That's so crazy. So do you want to go through the theories? Yeah, I'd love to. So one of the first theories they had was that the rush, they'd, the hikers had seen something they shouldn't have up on right. the mountains. Now what it is, is like a lot of those areas out in the middle of nowhere, there's a lot of experiments run by the by the Russians at the time, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that what one of the theories was they'd seen something, they'd heard something, that something, something had been going on in the area. They'd seen it and thought, well, we can't have any witnesses sort of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And this, I think they probably thought whoever had killed him that they probably got rid of Valentina as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, she made it out. But if, the weird thing for her is that um, she never spoke of it afterwards. She, she gave a police yeah. account and maybe sort of trickled out a little bit of evidence under under sort of um, duress. under duress about just to the police. But after that, she's never come out and spoken about what she saw, what happened. Yeah. It's the police report is all that's left yeah. of, of the evidence. She's kept dumb. Now it's 1993. She was a 17 year old at the time, Crazy. so she's only sort of in her 40s now. She's probably yeah. younger than me. And she's still not talking. She's still not speaking about it. She's she not suicided. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a, this is part of the theory of it, you know. But what I, I'd say against that that particular theory is that area 
Um, as I said, popular hiking spot for yeah, tourists. Three hikers yeah. were out that day. Yeah. Kayakers. And ca- this is it. So mm. people are using it as a sport area. And how did the Russians actually silence them? You know, they poison them or something. Yeah. You know, well, this is it. You know, and I, and, and I, I so I, I don't think it was. I don't think they'd seen something they shouldn't have seen. I don't think that's a good theory. That. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, it's like us saying, if you want to sort of like to run experiments somewhere, you wouldn't do it in the middle of the lake district. Yeah, so yeah, for yeah. Buttermere or somewhere. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think that's a, that's a good one. That you know. The thing I like is that in some way a nerve agent might have killed them. Sounds like it. Yeah. Many people have pointed out that symptoms described by Valeria are consistent with death by chemical weaponry, specifically nerve agents. The frothing at the mouth and the convulsing in particular match deaths by a strong nerve agent. The death also matches with autopsy results. Since contact with nerve agents can cause respiratory distress, the bruising of lungs can be a sign of death by nerve gas, Cardiac arrest is caused by nerve agents, which matches Lyud Miller's death as well. The cause of death of the other hikers could well have been uh, very well be hypothermia, even if they were exposed to a nerve toxin, since they could have been knocked unconscious or fallen into a coma and then ultimately yeah. succumbed to exposure. Right? Oh, that's this is ticking boxes. So there's a YouTuber called Kadaba, right, and he proposes that the specific nerve agent used by the hikers was. Kill that hikers was Novichok, Shit. and that's the one that was used in the Salisbury poisonings yeah, in, in yeah. the UK. You know, and Novichok gases are a class of nerve agents created by Soviet Russia up to 1993, which is a year of the incident. So this is a time when they're being formulated and created. Oh my god! They are thought to be the deadliest nerve agents in existence, being ten times more deadly than VX and twenty more times deadly than sarin. Novichok agents were reportedly tested in areas near the Kamar-Deban region. Mm. Exposure to this gas causes rapid deaths similar to what the hikers experienced. But both these theories of issues, first and very common one with all that Valentina's survival, how did she survive? Yeah. She was most, she was near most of her friends when they died and even went back to the location without suffering a similar mm. fate. So where did the gas come from? And what they're saying is, uh, she says here, is that she did a lot of her research into ner- nerve agents for this. And she said that found a few interesting things. Nerve agents are soluble in water and can take four months to evaporate. They're made of heavy particles, often float close to the ground. And the stronger ones can be hazardous in a location where they were used long after they were first released. Right? So this is a theory. The rainstorm plays a very key part in this. The rain could have washed a strong nerve agent, like Novichok, that had been tested at most four or five months prior in a more discreet site up the mountain, mm. and it's washed it downhill. As the morning sun evaporated water from the rainstorm, some of the hazardous agent went with it, but it didn't travel far, staying in some sort of epicenters close to the ground. So Sasha got unlucky and walked over a highly contaminated spot, causing almost instant symptoms. He may have absorbed the toxin through either his skin or breathing it in. And when Lyudmila ran to him, she was exposed to the same toxic location. Mm. Tatiana, Victoria, Timur and Valia did not get close enough to Lyudmila, uh, were the first to reach Lyudmila, but quickly ran away. This delayed their death slightly. Yeah. So they got a little bit of the toxic nerve agent and yeah. stuff like that, you know. Since Valia didn't get close enough to Ludmilla, she never went, yeah, she was rooted yeah. to the spot, right? Only Victoria, who had removed herself from the epicenter of contamination, 
uh, um, was exposed to high levels of the toxin. So the same with uh, Dennis, right, uh, who was also impacted by high, high levels initially, but his decision to hide and crouch down was his downfall. Mm -hmm. Small levels of toxin were floating close to the ground and he breathed it in. Yeah. So that's what her theory is for that, you know. And I think, to be honest, I think that sounds pretty good, does it that? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah How deadly is this shit? What yeah. the media is scary. Well, the saying is, well, another thing is that some people said one of the theories might be that Valentina's story was inaccurate. And I don't think it was. Yeah. I, think, I think she's told it actually as it occurred. Yeah. But other theories, right, which is another good one. Um, is that the Lake Baikal, which sits above the mountains, is well known as a toxic waste dumping ground. Oh which, why the fuck yeah. would be you doing that? Yeah. I mean, come on, you know what I mean? He's sick, isn't it? All the Russian as well, you've got to have a better plate. So what they're saying is a good chance that some of the do deadly toxins were in the water that rushed down off the, off the mountain, which they used for cooking water at that, that time oh as well, God. so it could have been that, you know? But then again, why was Valentina not... Unless she just had a different breakfast. It could be just some... Uh, everybody had porridge and she ate it or something <laughs> weird. <laughs> it's true, yeah. She didn't have the sausages. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think... So, but, but to be honest, I don't think it's as uh, as, as interesting as, as the first one, you know. But another good one. Jude Miller was a known forager who taught the art to his students. It's possible that one of the hikers found some mushrooms to add to their breakfast which weren't of the correct variety mm. after eating their breakfast the effect of the mushroom poisoning began to take hold as they were walking causing them to hallucinate and be sick and interestingly a common hallucination caused by psilocybin is to see other people crying blood Oh, Overdoses of psilocybin can cause psychosis convulsions, cardiac arrest and even send someone into a coma and once again, it's likely that the hikers died as a result of hypothermia due to being in an altered state, whether that was just tripping in and out or, be, or tripping out or being mm. in a coma. So Valentina could have survived by eating less mushrooms or none of them, mm. uh, or even just a genetic disposition to being less affected. And she might have been wearing warmer clothes or by running to the forest and sheltering out of paranoia might have increased her system. You know yeah, what I mean? The the help get shit out of her system, you know what I mean? That's fascinating, actually, because I love the nerve agent one, because you just thought, with the symptoms and how efficient it was um, to kill him, you think that is a man-made thing, not yeah. toxic, coming, weeping around, that's like war-grade shit, and, yeah. you know, uh, and luckily she just didn't hit but, that spot. But where do we find our toxins from to create war-grade shit? Yeah. Nature. Yeah, true, innit? So, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm of the two, it's, it's one of the other, one or two of those things, because I had a really interesting piece, it was about, it was a writer with this guy, and I felt so sorry for him, and he was a bit of a forager, yeah. and he'd had friends, he lived out in the forests and stuff of America, and he was like, oh, these friends came over the really nice wine and they're all having a lovely meal and that morning foraged mushrooms and things they said oh and they made this like I think it was like a risotto or something yeah. they made. everything was amazing and they're all sitting around listening to lovely music and all that in the forest the next thing you know at his house everyone started to fall ill everybody's internal organs started to fail and most of the people at that meal died oh god uh, he survived he had to have I think he had a, a full kidney transplants even now they keep failing they keep fucking up he's only got like a couple of years only uh, a couple of years to live he just wasn't picked the wrong mushrooms picked the wrong mushrooms and just wiped everybody out 
Oh, Easy as that, you know. God. I mean, that's why I don't forage mushrooms. Uh, yeah, not, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I had a great opportunity to forage an amazing mushroom called the Chicken of the Wood, <laughs> right, um, which a friend of mine had found. He took us to it. So, look, look, you could come and get some if you want. Yeah. You know? And it is, uh, you slice it has a tender it's texture of chicken. Wow. It's beautiful, meaty mushroom. And I said, yeah. no. I'm yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I last was wanting to do it for and I've completely banned it. Just yeah. like, no, because mates do, they do a lot of foraging. And well, that. I know a good area to forage, um, um, and it's weirdly enough, it, it's down by, um, oh, what's it called down? Bottom of Pudsey. Um, Full Net. Full Net, oh, down, yeah. down there. Uh, as On the left hand side there, there's a load of wild garlic grow, and I, I can yeah. remember getting a bus down there once. And these two, like old Polish people, kind of come out of the woods, right? Yeah. Just having a chat and a laugh, and everything. They have these massive, big punnets with them, right? Yeah. Full with, of mushrooms, wow. amazing. And they're just like laughing, like, fucking hell, all this free yeah. food, something, you know? <laughs> and taking it up, I thought, fucking fair play. It is when you know what you're doing. When you know what you're yeah, doing, yeah. you know? And the, the idea, they do say with mushroom hunting, is don't, don't find the mushrooms which are poisonous. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, you need to know them, yeah. but only collect ones which you know you can eat yeah. rather than thinking, oh, well, I'll collect this and find out what it's like. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, nothing like that. Yeah, I don't touch it, you know what I mean? Mental. And it's, it's, it's just not a good idea at all because it, it's just even a tiny amount can just trigger a massive, mm. you know, toxic shock in, in people. Well, I'll tell you what, next time we have breakfast, let's stick to us sausages. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good idea, I bet. <laughs> Kid, is it that time already? <laughs> it is that time already. <laughs> 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 it wouldn't be the same if we did. <laughs> but we still got time for one. We're just going to go off on oh, another nice. little tangent today, yeah. and we're going to go back to something historical. Oh, and I found this, and I just thought it was just something so strange. Yeah. Um, what we're going to look at is: Have you ever heard of um, Doctor John D? No. Dr. John D was a really weird character, and we're going to cover him later on yeah. as a special, but we're just going to, as a tantalising department of our taste, a little taster yeah. into his, and we're going to look at Dr. John D's spirit mirror. Wow. Right. But uh, Dr. John D, right, it was, was Queen Elizabeth I, sort of like um, philosopher, wow. sort of doctor, practitioner, scientific advisor, yeah. all that sort of stuff, right? Her Nostradvatu. Uh, Nostradvatu. Nostradvatu. Oh, Why did he attempt it? Why did he attempt it? I keep. Glad you did, because that's the Yourselves now because I'm not looking. <laughs> I've not said that. <laughs> I know they are though. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, right. He was a scientific advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, right? He was also deeply involved in magic and the occult, and he tried to commune with ghosts using a so called spirit mirror made of polished obsidian. Wow, what's that? I'll go through it and tell you know, let you know what it is, right? 
So a new analysis of Dee's infamous mirror has finally traced its origin. It's not from the spirit world, but from the Aztec Empire. Oh, right? sweet! Obsidian mirrors such as Dee's were known from Aztec culture, but there were no records on, this, on his mirror's origins. However, geochemical analysis enabled researchers to link the mirror's obsidian, which is a type of volcanic glass, wow, right. to Pachuca, Mexico, a popular source of obsidian for Aztec people. This finding indicated that the artifact was Aztec, and not a copy made from European obsidian, and Deed likely acquired the mirror after it was brought to Europe from Mexico, according to a new study. Though Dee was a scientist and mathematician, his interests also swung towards the magical and mystical, and in addition to the spirit mirror, he owned other objects related to astrology, divination, alchemy, and the exploration of demonic magic. <laughs> He's a bad boy. Dee claimed that one of these objects, a purple crystal on a chain, was given to him by the archangel Uriel, Along with instructions for making of a philosopher's stone, the mythical alchemical marvel that promised the gift of eternal life and the ability to turn base metals into gold. Wow. Dee also possessed a cloud glass, a black glass mirror kept in a sharkskin case which he used for peering into the future. And this is the obsidian mirror. A shark skin case. Shark skin case. That's so super cool. <laughs> shark, getting shark, shark skin's very good. I've owned something with a shark skin cover to it as well. Yeah, it's a, it, when shark skin is cured, it goes into this strange, slick kind of um, leather. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. But you, you know, let's not be killing sharks. Yeah, I don't like all that. So Dee's obsidian mirror, now in the collection of the British Museum in London, is polished on both sides and is nearly perfectly circular measuring about 7.2 inches or 18.5 centimetres in diameter and 0.5 inches or 13 millimetres thick and weighing around 31 ounces or 882 grams, which is just shy of a kilo, so it's a heavy yeah, yeah. old thing, you know. A perforated square tab at the top of the mirror measures about 1.3 inches long and may have served as a handle, according to the study. Do a little look at it. Oh, yeah, and the British Museum still got it. Yeah, so that's it there. Oh, wow. Now, a lot of the pictures of it, it just looks like a damn, it looks like a slab of slate. But yeah. I, I've, I've chosen that particular picture because you can see the actual reflection yeah. and the dark things you see within, you know? I love it. But if you look next to it, this is actually artwork from Mexico of the time depicting spirit mirrors. Wow, look at this. This like, is real. fucking cool, aren't It is, it's really cool. Pray tell. So the inscription on on notes that are stored within the mirror refer to it as the devil's looking glass. The black stone into which Dr. D used to call his spirits. Drawings of mirrors that resemble D's appeared in the Codex Tepetlautzoc. The 16th century Aztec pictorial manuscript was created by inhabitants of Tepetlautzoc and depicts excessive tribute demands and other abuses of indigenous people by Spanish conquistadors, according to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. So within this particular sort of um, codex, their book, and it's pictorial rather than being, being sort of letters and writing, yeah. it's all sort of um, almost like pictogram. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> 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 well, you 
little fancy about it. Like a comic. <laughs> Showing the uh, excessive and abuses of the conquistadors on the indigenous people. <laughs> they scare me, them dudes, man. Oh, they're absolutely terrifying. Which one's the Aztecs or the conquistadors? The conquistadors. Yeah. <laughs> them? <laughs> them other Spanish dudes. Okay. Cortez, that was one of them. What are you? Yeah, I think vampire. so. Yeah, that's it. The Aztecs used obsidian mirrors themselves for scrying, or for peering into the future. So that's what it was meant wow. for, and for religious rituals. These mirrors were strongly associated with one god in particular. In particular, Tetzcatlipoca, and it means a smoking mirror, in the Nahuatl language. And there's a creation deity in the Aztec pantheon and a god of sorcerers, according to the British Museum. In the period iconography, he's often shown with a severed left foot. And he's got an obsidian mirror in place of his left foot, Whoa, which is pretty weird. weird. Left foot as well. So this, that was said by uh, study author Stuart Campbell, a professor of Near Eastern Archaeology at the University of Manchester in the United Kingdom. Sometimes they appear on his chest, sometimes they appear on his head. So there's quite a specific association with these types of mirrors with that particular deity. So it sounds like a, a dark deity anyway, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's almost like he's losing aspects of his own physical body to be replaced by mirrors. These wow. mirrors, the same mirrors that yeah. Dr. John Dee was wielding. The scientists analysed Dee's mirror and related objects in the British Museum collections, including one rectangular obsidian mirror and two circular ones, using a portable X-ray fluorescence instrument. Then they compared its chemical fingerprints, right, um, ratios of elements such as iron, titanium and rubidium, with ratios in samples of obsidian mined from the different parts of Mexico. Now, because obsidian only occurs in very specific volcanic locations, it's almost always got a very distinct chemical profile. And if you do a detailed chemical analysis, very often you can use that to assign it to a unique original source. Mm. So the, you, you, they've done that measurement to find exactly where it's from. So the analysis did show that Dee's mirror and a circular mirror that was similar to Dee's were close matches to samples from Pachuca, a region in Mexico that was under Aztec control and was the most heavily exploited of the known obsidian resources of the Aztec Empire, according to the study. And at the dawn of the 16th century, obsidian mirrors that were crafted by Aztec people had a specific cultural context, with a set of very specific cultural meanings in the Aztec Empire. At the time, you see, that all they used mirrors, any mirrors for, was peering into the past or into the future or communing with ghosts. And it was only when Westerners arrived and started looking at mirrors, looking at themselves, mm. that it changed the cultural context of mirror usage. Yeah. At the time, all they thought that, that reflections were were spirits, ghosts, other, other beings. You wow. know? And, but the... the Ability to polish obsidian's extremely hard. Yeah. These people at the time they didn't really have other materials to polish with, so to create that must be incredibly expensive. Yeah, and, and to get it so flat. Yeah, and perfectly round nearly. Flat and perfectly round, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they, what were they seeing though? What were he seeing in it? Did he ever report? What, what? Well, who knows? I mean, we will look into John Dee because he's an incredibly interesting person and very dark figure as well, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, at the time. And he had, if you think about the influence he had over somebody like Queen Elizabeth I and wow. what her decisions were to do yeah, things, yeah. you know. It shows, and even to own such an artifact as this shows the immense power and wealth and yeah. influence he had. But, um, but if he had that kind of influence, he, as you say, he could have been like the Nostradamus 
of um, of the time, or he might have been sort of like uh, he he could have been like the Rasputin to Queen Elizabeth the first sort of thing, where mm-hmm. he's whispering in the ears. He could create yeah. wars. Yeah, he could create. Yeah. He could have people killed. He could have people saved. Anything. Doctor John Dee was a very influential person. Oh. And we will do a little. Ooh, quite a big deep dive into yeah, the guy later on. Yeah, you know. I'd love to have a little play about with that mirror, though. Would yeah. you look? Would you have a little ganders? I will do. We'll have a little look at that. No, but if you had it, you've someone said, oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah there's no two ways about it. I couldn't you know help I mean? myself. So. Yeah, oh, I'd have to have a look at it. Yeah. yeah, well, you can. You can go to the British Museum, it's just there on display. Yeah. You can look into its depths Whoa. through the case, and perhaps something spooky and smoky may come back from there. Nosferatu. <laughs> well, talking of doing a deep dive, I'm going to have to do a deep dive with a bog brush now. I'm yeah, at the yeah, back yeah. of that big turd you did earlier. <laughs> Break its spine, our kid. Pulverise it. <laughs> well, I get on with that. Let's let's just say it's going to be a time for a big bye bye from Mark. It's a bigger bye bye from Benny. See you later, guys. See you, take care, guys. There are three ways you may contact Cracking Cold. Either by email at Podcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Crackencove or Instagram at Crackencovepod ha ha